Hello everybody, this is Twitchy Max and you're listening to season two of the family-friendly podcast Expired XP. This season we explore the world of gaming through insider interviews, new and retro game specials, and points of view on industry trends. If you like games, this podcast is for you. This week we are talking to David Johnson. DJ is a multi-award winning industry veteran who worked on games such as Halo and Call of Duty. He talks to us about how he found his passion for gaming and spills the beans on the infamous airport scene in Modern Warfare 2. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Expired XP. I am Useless Viking NZ, also known as Pete. I am here with my usual uh, compadre, Twitchy Max. Hello. And our special guest, all the way from the States, DJ, David Johnson. <laughs> yeah, what's up guys? Good to be here. <laughs> so good to have you on. Now, DJ, I, I think that the best way to introduce you is actually to have you introduce yourself. Yeah, sure, sure. So yeah, David Johnson's my name. I go by DJ. All my friends call me DJ. So yeah, I've worked in games for two, 25 years, I think now. Um, I'm most known for Call of Duty games. I worked at Infinity Ward for about 10 years. I was the head of the effects department for eight or so of those. Um, I started right at the tail end of Modern Warfare 1, which I really didn't do much on, but I got it. I kind of got my cut my teeth on the DLC, and then I was all there from Modern Warfare Two all the way through Infinite Warfare, and did it, some stuff on World War Two. Before that, I worked on Halo. Uh, I was on Halo Three, which is pretty sweet. I'm a huge, massive Halo fan. I'm playing uh, Infinite <laughs> right now. Uh, I'm I'm flexing between Platinum Five and Diamond One, which is pr- pretty pretty nice. <laughs> level um yeah and and i just i love games i've game effects is is sort of my specialty um and then uh you know after about a decade with activision and infinity ward it was time to move on so i moved out to savannah georgia and started a company called undertone effects and now we're up to about 15 people including two two of us are in wellington and we just do effects for for other studios so we get hired to to you know blow other people's games up <laughs> which that's is pretty, so pretty cool. sweet gig i've won two, these are two uh ves awards that's visual effects society uh, i believe i'm the only person in the world with two of those in the real-time category i was on their board of directors for a while and i'm just, you know just a lifelong gamer grew up with uh, you know strangely i never had a console as a kid um the first oh, <laughs> yeah <wow>. we always <laughs> had we had like Macs and PCs. Uh yeah. I bought myself I bought my buddy's Commodore 64 off of them uh, in high school. But so I kind of cut my teeth more in PC gamings. Yeah, I love it. I, and I actually just bought my favorite old C64 controller. Which, oh, uh, yeah. I kind of obscure one. It's red and black, and you kind of hold it underneath, and the buttons yeah. here. And it's got a little clicky. Oh God, it yeah. is the best oh. damn joystick. Yeah, I I have one of those. Phenomenal. And yeah. uh, I thought they were fantastic. Problem was, I was left-handed. I had to hold it, and it's all molded for the right hand, but it still worked really well. It was a fantastic yeah. joystick. Yeah. So I really yeah. like. I've got I've got an emul like on my big TV over here. I've got a you know an emulator, and I haven't sorted it all yet, but I want to get that joystick working with the old C sixty four games. But yeah, I mean, that, uh... that's a great idea. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I don't have, I, I've, I've just pre ordered the uh, Mini Amiga 500 because, you know, I, I also went C64 and then I went Amiga 500 and 1200 and then I went PC. But and my first console actually was an Xbox, which is kind of weird, but that was kind of where I started. And it was actually due to Halo. So oh, that, yeah. was, that was kind of where my gaming thing started. But I guess for me, one thing I really wanted to talk to you about, DJ, is what was your first gaming experience that you remember and what got you hooked on gaming before you decided you wanted to do it as a career? 
Yeah, yeah, good question. Sure. So, I, I mean, I'd probably point to a, a couple different things. Like, the first game we had at my house was, I remember I was probably in fifth grade and Nintendo didn't exist yet. I think Atari was out at that time, but I never had an Atari. I never had any, I never had a console growing up. My first one was in college. I bought myself a PlayStation one. It was my first console. So my whole like formative years, I, I didn't have, but my dad plugged into the TV this breakout game. I think it was like the the like late 70s Sears breakout or like a clone of it or something. And yeah, it's just a little paddle and that's it and the ball going up and down. And like, that was amazing. That was super cool. Um, so that was, and I'm trying to think if that was before or after. I mean, arcades were a huge thing for me as a kid, right? Uh, my mom had a girlfriend that that worked at a, a movie theater and they had a couple of arcade stand-up machines and so i could play you know and and she'd you know pu push the button so i had a ton of quarters so her and mom could <laughs> do whatever in the bad i don't know what they're doing <laughs> they're entertaining me in the arcade section though and they had like donkey kong jr and and phoenix and a game called mappy those are still like you know arcade favorites of mine mm, um quite early arcade favorites yeah yeah and then let's see fast fast forwarding the the first like real like i played the bejesus out of it was we had we got an apple II. uh when i, I think around that like shortly after my dad got that breakout machine we got an apple II mm. plus or something we had like you know a few games we had choplifter like that is just super classic we played you know we like my brother and i would fight for high scores and get mad at each other and tell our parents to pull the plug on their game because they were beating <laughs> <They'd... laughs> to, to mess up their high score yeah and like in decathlon you know some old just some old some basic i don't know you call them pc joystick, games i guess kind of like jo joystick breaking games i remember those games at least on c64 oh. they were like the the ones where you had to like move back and forth and it kind of broke the joystick while you were trying to run in a game that was that that was a little later actually this one we didn't even have a joystick for the apple oh, wow. II. it was all just just keys on the keyboard it's funny trying to f i think i think i think one of the decathlon <laughs> games was four player at once on the keyboard so you had to like you know oh, who yeah. got the who got the like you know l semicolon <laughs> p and comma and then who was on the like fitting four hands around a keyboard was pretty stupid sorry so you went from the apple II and then into commodore you said was that the next one for you commodore C64? was so c64 was was quite a bit down the the line i i got oh, the, really? i bought that for myself so so, so the apple II this era was you know fifth grade so i'm what 10 years old or something Commodore 64 I bought when I was maybe a sophomore in high school so I'm like 16 at that point but in there was the game that first like took over my life and is probably why I make games today and that is Ultima 3 was the one that really just like oh yeah. my goodness <laughs> so before that when when we had that first Apple II you know my dad bought it off of you know some guy in our thing and, and it had a couple of games some of which were pirated 
don't pirate kids. <laughs> it's bad. Um, you know, whatever. It, when we, at, at that age, we didn't know. And oh, Mike, 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 Mike also <laughs> talked extensively about this, and I've talked extensively about it. The only, the only person who really hasn't done it a lot is actually Richie. But I, yeah, uh, anyway, I get I Yeah, I, I work with a bunch of criminals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we, there was a copy of Ultima 2, and since it was a copy, it didn't come with the book. And the book, if you buy the game with the box, will tell you, to make a copy of the player disc before you put your character on it, because you like as your character is going down in life, it's saving all the time. And so Ultima 2, I put it in and like, oh my goodness, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I had made a character and it would like it was going south real quick. My that, it's a, it's not an easy game. So I, you know, monsters spawn. I don't have any weapons or armor. They start hammering me and I get into a town and I'm like a quarter health left. And I pull the disc out and I'm like, oh no, how do I, there's no way to make a new character. Literally, there is no way. You have to have made a blank oh, character disc before yeah. you started. So like, I just tried and like, I made like three copies of this disc. So now I had a crappy character that I just couldn't get out of the hole. I, the moment I leave town, he just gets obliterated. I just tried. Oh, so I'm like, ah, so I had all this like now built up anticipation in my head of like this cool game that I couldn't play. Like, ah. And then finally, like, you know, fast forward a year or two and some kid in junior high had a, had Ultima 3 and I got a copy of that, 12 that years team, old. I don't have, have money to buy any of these, but. That Ultima series, like Richard Garriott, I don't know, have you ever met him or had any interactions with him? He's kind of a legend in his own right, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I, I know people that know him. Uh, I, I've never met him. I'm a little, I'm a little bummed. So at the, if you, I recently got it a kick playing retro games again and so i've been playing through all the ultimas i just beat one i never beat any of them as as a kid right i think i built beat ultima five maybe but they were so hard i certainly didn't beat two or three so i'm like well what did i miss and so i've started playing again and at the end of them it's like it says you know write in to richard garriott to tell him that you want it beat it and he'll send you back like a postcard or something and uh, i i heard that he still does that if you tweet him if you sh if you photo oh. you beating oh. the game, and you tweet him, he will like congratulate you on Twitter back. That is cool. And and I did that for I think, I, I think I didn't figure that out. Nobody. I, I think I, after beating Ultima Three, someone told me that, and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna Richard Garrett's gonna know who I. Am. <laughs> so I tweeted him, and he never tweeted back, and I was like, oh. oh. Richard Garriott, I know you're not listening to this podcast, but if you were listening to this podcast, I'd say, come on, give DJ's postcard. But yeah, I mean, Ultima 3 and then four, I, like I remember, like, I don't know, that's kind of and, and I, around that age, too, I had you know started playing Dungeons and Dragons. And, and so my imagination is just going crazy with all this fantasy adventure stuff. And and like those games were just so awesome. And I remember, you know, I would played the heck out of four and then five came out when I was in junior high. And I remember having my dad was kind of teaching us finances, us kids, there's, there's six of us in, in my family. And so he was showing us how to like, if you want to buy something and order it from somewhere, you write a check to them and you put it in an envelope with a stamp and an address and you mail it and then they will mail you the thing back. So I'm like, dad, I've saved up my allowance. Uh, how much were games back then? 20, 20 bucks or something. I, that was like a couple, like, you know, probably a month or two of allowance plus some chores and extra stuff. And I'm like, dad, I got my 20 bucks. 
I got a mail or <laughs> let's 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 or Ultima fives out. Like I need this. Let's let's order it. So yeah, I wrote, I had him. You know, gave him my twenty bucks. He wrote the check. I put it in the envelope. I mailed it. Yeah, financial lesson. Good. And uh, man, I just remember the 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 anticipation, like every day, getting off the bus and running to the house and tearing open the mailbox and like my heart just sinking when it was not in there for day after day, week after week, and it was probably like. I don't know. It seemed like forever. It was probably, you know, a month and a half or two months of just every day, like, is it here yet? And then the euphoria I felt when finally, like, it's here, and the cloth map and the and the little yes. the token and all the yes. little swag you got in there, the books that made it feel like a real, like, oh man. So yeah, Ultima Games. I, I feel like you kinda... can still. I can almost still remember the smell of, <laughs> you know, opening that packaging up and having that mat that was that cloth yeah. mat and. The, <laughs> Yeah. It, was, it was like an, ex- you're right. It was an, an entire experience getting that. It wasn't just a game. I mean, these days it's a plastic box and a bit, it's a, unless you do the premium. Well, these days it's a digital download. It's a digital yeah, download. I mean, yeah. it's, our, yeah, it's right. our generation that buys the physical copies because we like the experience. There's loads of people missing out on that now, aren't they? Because they're just downloading it straight away because it's convenient. I used to love the maps that came in it. Yeah. Uh, it came in like the Commodore 64 cassette box and you could use that to beat the game. It was fantastic. My uh, my sister and I learned, you know, Rune, the, the Richard Garriott runes and what letter that they stood for. Because to read the maps, some of them were in runes, right? So you kind of learned to read in Ultima Rune and my sister did too. And so at school, we would write notes to each other in Rune. It was like our own little code. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I got her to learn that, but that was kind of weird. <laughs> I remember uh, one another stupid Ultima memory. Uh, a guy in junior high, I think it was Ultima, it was either three or four. At the time, it was like eight discs or like four discs front and back, something like that. And he's like, okay, if you go to Lord Bridge's castle and put the wrong disc in, put disc five in, and then... In the wilderness, you, you, it was like 27 steps east and 19 steps down. And, and you would cross the like load barrier and it would, it would load the wrong data set. And there was one spot where there was an infinite chest. So you could just open it and it oh. wouldn't go away. <laughs> so it was like an early hack. That's and I did so this good. and I'm like, oh, I just like loaded my character up with money. And that was super awesome. <laughs> so, like, the passion is cle- has clearly been there with you for a very long time. How did you go from, like, this to, like, how did you get into video game, de- like, design and actually doing, like, environmental effects and stuff? Like, how, how, what did that journey look like for you to actually be able to do that? So, you know, I always had a knack for drawing and art. Um, I think even in like second and third grade, I was winning. You know, I, my mom would, you know, I'd draw stuff, you know, he draw whatever in, in, you know, second grade. And like mine was clearly better than all the other students. <laughs> I had shading and, you know, like it was realistic-ish and the others were not. And my mom was like, you know, well, this is pretty good. And, they, you know, they'd have little art shows and contests and and like my drawings would always win. And I'm like, okay, well, then maybe this is something. So I always kind of had a knack for art. And, uh, you know, I, I probably got more shy about it over time, like more self-critical, you know, when you're young, you're just like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing stuff. You don't really care. But, you know, I, as I got older in high school, like, you know, you start to see really good artwork and now you're comparing your, you know, 
<laughs> what you can it feels like oh my stuff's kind of mediocre <laughs> but I, my journey was a little roundabout to get there i i finished high school and i had taken like one i, I didn't even graduate high school um i went to an adult school because i was short on credits and they had and i was trying to make up credits they had like a, a desktop publishing class this is you know i was you know probably about senior year in high school and they were, were teaching us Quark Express and, and Adobe Illustrator. And like, I, and so Illustrator was my first like taste of digital art and like all these little, little tiny robots and sketches I used to do. I'm like now doing them in clean printoutable graphics and these weird little spaceships and robots and stuff. And I'm like, oh man. And then, and then text and adding typography. And I don't know, I kind of had a weird obsession with combining art and, and text. That there were that was uh, were always kind of part of the drawings that I did would have words in them and so that was kind of my first taste and then so so college you know I went to I I I was a horrible student <laughs> in high school I think I, <laughs> I I did I'd never graduated high school um, I my freshman year I got five F's and a D one semester so that put me uh, well behind the, <laughs> for which I never caught up uh, so I started I went to junior college which is kind of what one does here uh, if you don't have any real prospects uh, and but when I just keep trying and dropped out you know I was taking all the you know algebra and debate and and oh, yeah. philosophy and I'm like oh. and I'm still a, I'm still a crap student so that that didn't go well so I dropped out and so I just kind of worked for a year or two I got my first kind of computer graphics job um in that time so this was like 96 or something like this 95 around then uh, I gra I didn't graduate high school in 92 so, so I was for just a very brief time, maybe four months, I was a colorist. So I did a colorized black and white uh, movies, TV commercials, old oh, cartoons. Yeah. yeah, and that was a lot of fun. I was I was good at it and I was pretty fast, but it was graveyard shift and oh, like, yeah. oh God, it was crushing. <laughs> I could not stay awake. I, I, I was fast enough that I would finish the entire shift's work in about an hour. And then I kind of, it there were these, it was expensive studio in Culver City with these silicon graphics and like a challenge thing and like like a million dollar computer in the back and every workstation's 200 grand and so they had to run it 24 hours a day they had to, there was three shifts running these things and so i'd finish my work in like an hour and then i i got used to like and i, I put sunglasses on and my headphones and it's a dark room and you have these big ergonomic chairs and i would fall asleep for the rest of my shift i was just kind of like like spacing in and out of sleep and like i just couldn't take it i like graveyard shift just to do a like a, a brain dead repetitive task of like moving yeah. points around i'm like i just walked up the front one day i'm like i can't <laughs> i can't do this anymore i'm out but it was a cool job yeah but yeah that that so i went back to college I tried again, and this time I didn't bother with any of the requirements. I just took, all right, I'm just going to take stuff I care about. I'm going to take a drawing class, photography, Photoshop, and it was just all art classes, basically. Yeah. And like, oh, my goodness, oh, Photoshop. Okay, this is really cool. So now I'm doing, yeah. you know, fun Photoshop stuff. And, you know, I basically took all the computer class, computer art classes they had 
And then some student there was like, hey, did you hear uh, Fullerton City has got a big computer lab and some cool like animation classes? I'm like, oh, okay. So I transferred there, took every animation class they had. I learned like, you know, Infinity and Strata Studio Pro and Macromedia Director and Flash and all this stuff. And like, oh, I was like in heaven. This was so fun. And the minute I, the minute I switched to taking classes I liked, straight A's. <laughs> I was no yeah. longer a garbage student. Yeah. I was doing great. Uh, Driven by passion at that stage, eh? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, electric image we learned, took every class they had. And then again, some students like, hey, I heard Santa Monica City's got this new program starting up. And it was weird because normally a city college is like anyone, you know, you just pay your 200 bucks and you're in. But this the Academy of Entertainment Technology, it was this new division they were starting. And you had to apply and submit a portfolio. And I submitted mine. I think there was a thousand or three thousand students that applied or something like that and 200 got picked and i was one of wow. them wow yeah and then so we learned like like traditional like cell animation like drawing it on a paper and like flipping it up and all that which is super great like i was not good at it <laughs> i wasn't great but it really helped me learn like what 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 you can do with a frame of animation and what timing is all about and th those are the most probably valuable classes i took life drawing we didn't even touch a computer for a semester or two um hmm. but then yeah we learned maya and rigging and animation and modeling and the whole thing and i, I there was some other college that had some 3d studio max class and i went and took that too i was like i just consuming information and then uh, a buddy of mine I, I won't go to that whole tangent but he basically i helped a friend get a job at a place and then he um, and then he called me one day he's like hey we need a guy to push the button because we're scanning cars for tv commercials he's like can you come push the button I'm like sure yeah well <laughs> so i i go push the button so it's a two-man operation there's a big huge like pharaoh arm it's a big articulate you know like big robot arm yeah but instead of motors in it like you you know you you hold it and you move it but you haven't have another operator sitting over there like boop, hit the button and and literally we, they would take this engineering tape really fine tape and like lay it out over the car so they would they would create an actual wireframe of the car and then take this little armature thing and then sample the points. He move it and he say, go, 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 done. And I'm back there like, nee, nee, <laughs> so, that, <laughs> so I did that for a couple of days and then they're like, okay, now you want to run the arm. We got another person to push the button now. Like, all right, I got promoted. So now I'm doing the arm and then like, Hey, can you model a windshield wiper? I'm like, yeah, I totally can. Sure. <laughs> I had barely any idea what I was doing, but uh, you know, you you fake it till you make it, and 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 I did. And, uh, I I gave them a a sixty thousand polygon windshield wiper, and they're like, "Can you make that like maybe five hundred or something?" That's a little look. You did a good job, but it's like super overkill. Too much. <laughs> yeah, computers cannot uh, operate that windshield wiper you made. Um, so that was my first sort of like formal like computer graphics job. Um, and then that company ended up doing a lot of web 3D stuff. Uh, I got myself fired from there. I can go on that tangent if you want. But <laughs> And after that, I, that's when I moved up to Seattle and started my first game job at, at Wild Tangents. It was the name of it. How did you get fired from there? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So the, the, yeah, I'll tell you that story. It's, it's kind of fun. Um, this is my memory of it or how I 
you know, justify everything that went down in my head anyway. Maybe they have a different, you know, version of the story. But uh, when I started there, um, there was, I mean, I think they offered me 19 grand a year or something like that. And I had to look it up. I'm like, would I make more at McDonald's? I mean, it was pretty low salary yeah. for a pretty technical job. And I think I talked them up to like 26 or something, you know, like which is a large percent more than what they offered me yeah so it was a pretty low low paying gig um for a, a pretty skilled position and i a lot of people that worked there didn't have you know were from other countries uh and you know the company went through some turmoil and there was a buyout and a sell-off and all this stuff and so uh, at one point we merged with another company and, you know, the average salary of all the people at the other company was like 80 or 90 grand. And we're all over here making, you know, wow. 25. And we're like, Hey, like <laughs> this is, uh, can we like bridge the gap a little yeah. bit or something? And they're like, yeah, there's about to be another buyout. And so when that happens, you know, money, money bags, you know, corporate, company is going to we're going to do corrections don't worry about it just give give us like three months and we and so i i'm trying to think of the exact timeline basically like raises were supposed to come and then that big correction was supposed to happen and like you know legal stuff buyouts you know ftc regular whatever yeah stuff stuff takes a long time yeah so so you know annual raise time comes around nobody got a raise and i complained about it I'm like, hey, this sucks. Give us raises. <laughs> like, what, what's going on here? And uh, I kind of, I became a squeaky wheel a little bit. And you know, they and they said like, okay, well, when don't worry, thing thing happens, we're gonna get corrections. And it just went on for like six months or something. Cause not only did they not get a correction, they didn't get a raise at all. So everyone's kind of frustrated. And I remember like when the guy came to announce like, okay, the, the buyout, I, I think, yeah, I think the buyout had already happened and, and the parent company had, was already like their stock started tanking. So now they're selling us off. <laughs> and so now, right. and, and, and like all this time had gone by and still no, no raise, no salary correction, nothing. So the, the sell-off is about to occur. And I remember the, the, the company that, that was going to buy us the next time around came and did a meeting, like, we're going to buy you. It's going to take a couple months. If anyone has anything that they want to share with us, just see me after the meeting. And I, <laughs> I did. I pulled the dude aside. I'm like, hey. And he's like, okay, give me three months and we'll we'll fix it. Uh, Don't worry. Okay, that goes another six months. It, like, takes forever. And finally, like, they, the, they announced the merge and I was called into my boss's office and I was fired that day. The merge happened <laughs> but so everyone else on the you team... wanted a, you wanted a fair <laughs> wage so they thought that it, i mean it somehow sounds i could could it I, be well, any more american did than they, that did they, give everyone, <laughs> did they give everyone else a raise and fire you oh they did get yeah everyone else got <laughs> 10 to twenty thousand dollar corrections the day i was fired <laughs> wow. everyone wanted a raise i'm the only one that Fair and I, I i think that's like, harsh man that's harsh yeah. I didn't have like visa issues that prevented me from keeping my mouth shut. I think, you yeah, know, maybe true. You know, no, I, I figured true. these other people really couldn't speak up and 
you know. Yeah, no, that was fair. I, I think it's nice that you did that. And I mean, yeah. I, you know, it's one of those things that I think is still seems to be hotly debated in, in industries is, you know, fair wage and, and for the work. And so, so what was your first, so what was the, your, your first kind of real foray into kind of game development? And, and sure. I guess, and, and, and how did that lead to a bungee? Like, how did you get into that? Yeah, sure. There's a couple steps along the way. So, yeah, so that company that I got fired from, I, I did work on a couple of games there. So my, my oh, first... Yeah, cool title was so we were we were a modeling company and um so so companies hired us to do 3d modeling we had a whole big catalog so i worked on a few games there uh tomb raider revelations i modeled the 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 lead villain the the head of the lead villain i think one other character too uh microsoft baseball we did some stadiums for that so i get myself fired so now i'm looking for competitive jobs so there's another company uh, there metas what was the other company there was there was another there were a couple of competitors in the space doing like web 3d stuff which still is like not a thing at all uh, we at the time at that little moment in time and you know late late 90s we were like oh this is going to be huge all the websites are going to be 3d like any minute now nope <laughs> <laughs> um so there was a competitor in in san francisco and and, and seattle and the seattle one they had a, a web engine too that was like DirectX based, and it was it was actually the guy that created one of the creators of DirectX broke off from Microsoft and started Wild Tangent uh, using some of the hidden like 3D API stuff that was in Internet Explorer that was like undocumented stuff. But they were like they were like he he had he was on the Internet Explorer team. He had made DirectX. He's like we should get this in here. So there's 3D in your web browser. Yes. Um, so they were doing web 3D stuff as well. So that seemed like a good fit. I could take my knowledge of web 3D stuff and transfer it there. But really, it was a game company. I wasn't doing, you know, well, mm. products on the web anymore. We were making games. And it was, you know, if you bought like a Packard Bell or Cypher Dell or something in, in the like early 2000s, it probably had some wild tangent games on it. Polar Bowler and I don't know, some other stuff. Uh, Torchlight, I think, was was a game that sort of ended up coming from that um that was a little bit popular but yeah it was just like uh, you know we were tiny little team the company was about 100 people uh, and we had a little 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 team we had probably had eight games going on at any time and it was probably four four people over four months would put a game out so they were just these tiny little things my first one was uh battle bots like after the the tv oh, show yeah. where the robots yeah, yeah, would fight yeah. each other made a little game like that and then i did a there were sort of two divisions one was like you know make games that are fun and that people will buy and and the other was the the advert game division which is kind of what where i landed where you know nike and effect i did some of this some of my, people in game dev will will often like compare like who made the stupidest game and i usually win <laughs> because i made the axe <laughs> the axe body spray mojo master <laughs> game which is like you play cards <laughs> to like they're like hit hit on chick like car like oh. It's, oh my god <laughs> it's so dumb. oh dj <laughs> Yeah, so we've all got shameful moments now. Yeah, right? this is true. We've yeah. all done things for money that we're not proud of. A badge yeah. of honor. Yeah, I mean, done some cool stuff, done some stupid stuff, but yeah, I was actually proud of one thing that we did in that game, where where 
Um, Image-based lighting is, is kind of a thing that, that is common in games today, but was not back then. And I think we might have done one of the first image-based lighting on characters in a game at, oh, at, that's cool. at Wild Hatchet <laughs> in like, you know, 2002 or something. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I saw these talks by this guy, Paul Devevic, who's like a, a researcher that does computer graphics research. I'm like, oh, like you can do that if you plug this thing and make a texture like this and, and convolute it and stick it on the thing and then the lighting. And yeah, our characters look better than uh, characters in some of the big games right now. <laughs> like high fives. All right, cool. So, you know, it's fun. It was it was a tiny little company, but like I have super great memories from there. Uh, friends to this day with a lot of the people I was buddies with uh, from there. So we were all implants. They all like transferred us in. But how does that get to Bungie and the other stuff? Uh, so I was there about five years and like it was a great intro to game development. I got to do every role, like, you know, characters, textures, environments, lighting, art direction, outsource managing, like any art role there is, I did at that company. So that was a great like overview. Um, and then I ended up at FASA, it, which is a Microsoft game studio working on the Shadowrun game, Shadowrun FPS, which is probably, I worked on some bigger stuff, but is probably my favorite game to play that I've worked on. It was super great. I kind of foreshadowed what's going on with like Overwatch and some of the like ability based yeah. games now. And like just the movement in it that you could glide around and teleport through walls. It's like, man, like I want to, I want to, I want to rep. Re it was not well received at all it we got critically panned and like the servers went down like after not too long but it was an awesome game um so i was at fasa for a couple of years probably two years and then that studio shut down after that game and uh my buddy steve who was the effects lead at bungie and i was drinking buddies with because they'd have these industry nights where you go drink beer with other game people uh, in Seattle. And he's like, oh man, we're, we're finishing Halo 3. We need help. Can you come over? I'm like, yes. <laughs> so I did. Yeah, they loaned me to Halo. So you know, it was a kind of a weird arrangement. And my departure from Halo Bungie was a little weird too, because I was technically a FASA employee, a studio that no longer existed on loan to Bungie. And what I didn't know at the time was that they had a no hire like con uh, uh -huh. agreement with Microsoft because they were leaving Microsoft. That was, yeah. right that was all going down. And I didn't know that they were, they, man, they kept their lips sealed. I had no idea that, that was going on behind the scenes. So like my, my, my formal termination date came from FASA. Like they extended me, but they couldn't extend me anymore. And like, man, I really wanted to stay at Bungie. I wasn't there long, four or five months, something like that. But yeah, it was just weird legal stuff. I had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. I'm like, yeah, my my Microsoft thing's ending. You guys can hire me now, right? You still need help. We're not done. And they're like, oh, we'll bring you on as a contractor. I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to do that. And like there was a real there was like a super weird thing where in order for me to be brought on as a contractor even i would have had to quit microsoft to sever that thing so they could write a contract which means i would have had to forego my severance pay so i'd have to eat like 20 grand personally in order to take a contract with i'm like this is dumb as hell <laughs> i'm yeah. not doing that so i told him no and then watched all of Battlestar Galactica and curled up in a ball and <laughs> was like, what did I do? I gave up my dream job. Just, I don't know. I was 
yeah, that was that was a little meltdown moment <laughs> when yeah. that happened. But there seems to be a lot of that in the industry, though. Yeah, you know, a lot of that kind of unstable kind of job security, and you know, it's it's there's quite a lot of short termism because you're like creating a game, and if it's not well received, the studio folds, and if it is well received, you know, you'll get bought out. You know, there's a lot of instability, isn't there, as a, as an individual trying to trying to work? Yeah, it, it it can be, it can be, and and I'm trying to. You know, now here I am with my own company, right? So I, I'm trying to do, you know, better with some things than the, you know, and things that happened when you were kind of in the in the same position. But it's, yeah. it's interesting that micro Bungie, Microsoft Bungie thing because I obviously remember. I don't, I don't know. It would be really, it would be really interesting as well uh, as we as we kind of move forward in your career. Like, what moment was it that you a like where you fanboyed out about a joy a job that you got? And where you were like, this is a company that I look up to myself. So really keen to hear where that was. If that was, uh, you know, was it Blizzard moments or was it Infinity Ward or when when have been a few fanboy moments? Clearly Bungie kind of was one of them. But was there any hint? You're saying like they masked quite well these things that were going on. So there wasn't a sense of Bungie splitting from Microsoft at the time? Because I remember that was a, a big news when it came out. I was shocked. Zero. I, and I was in the building and going to drinks with these guys every day after work. And I had wow. no idea at all. That's crazy to me. <laughs> they, and it's they kept it so tight. Yeah. And yeah, because I mean, I guess from the outside, it kind of felt like, and, and you know, I've seen Microsoft documentaries about uh, how they seem to have now understood that um, they need to let studios do their own thing and that them influences is actually, you know, far from it be, be for me to slag off EA. But I think that if you look at EA, they're very, from an external perspective, they seem quite dictatorial in how they how they buy studios. And then the whole idea is they kind of just, they'll take resources and throw them around and, and kind of get them onto whatever the hell they think is the best thing to do. And I think Microsoft was kind of uh, the same model at the time, but it seems like now... And obviously with the quite recent, I don't know exactly when we're going to air this, but the quite recent acquisition of Activision uh, Blizzard, which I'm sure you'll have a view on. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, but it seems like Phil that. Spencer, it does seem like Phil Spencer at least has understood that uh, hands off is probably like, he will definitely make some changes, I'm sure. But it seems like he's more wanting to let things go. But, you know, how was that working in that environment at the time with Microsoft and Bungie? Were they very much like controlling it or? Um, you know, it, it, didn't seem like it's to me but i know like having talked to the guys about it afterwards i think i think you know microsoft has a, a a specific like corporate reputation to uphold right like yeah you know in every bit of marketing material that goes out like there has to be certain things represented and and you know they can't they can't have you know, blood and guts and death and, and you know, evil, you know, stuff be associated with the Microsoft brand. So I, I think that like, you know, having to just, I think they just felt like they kind of had to G-rate, you know, things a little more than they wanted to. And it, yeah. you know, nobody nobody wants to, to do that, right? So no. I, I think, th yeah, I think they felt like there was a filter on them. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's I think, a big part of why they left. Mm. Yeah. I didn't really notice it. Like they felt very insular to me, like, like a couple of anecdotes. I, I believe like Bill Gates, this was one of the few buildings he did not have access to. Oh, like yeah, Bill Gates up. card opens everything in Microsoft, but like if he came to Bungie, he would, someone would have to come let him in. Their network was isolated. I, I know that there was an incident where, you know, some marketing person in Europe or something, you know, there's, there's files on the server with, I don't know, some 
some information about the game and they got hacked and it leaked and they're like mm, no no micro we <laughs> we're like okay we are making yeah. a little firewall around us too so from oh, it so felt cool. like it seemed like it was very isolated from microsoft you know that that is a common dynamic right at, like in in studio like at infinity ward there was a, there was a very similar tone of like the studio you know people's loyalty is to the dudes that are sitting next to them, right? In the building with you. People at, yeah. at the various Activision studios, I, I don't know, maybe maybe excuse the other studios because I just worked at one of them. Mm. But, you know, the loyal, loyalty isn't, and, and I know this is one of the complaints that, you know, if you look, read what Bobby Kotick has said over time, one of the complaints is that the heads fostered that, right? That, that they made the team loyal to them and not to Activision. And he didn't like that. And mm. I mean, I, I would argue like that is the only way it is everywhere, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, you know, the people that are around you, like that you are riffing yeah, on course. and building a thing together with, that is what you're interested in. So, so there's always this kind of, you know, tension between the studio and the publisher or, you know, you know, Bungie and Microsoft kind of similar deal. Mm. Um, I, I know Bungie and Activision, there was a similar dynamics where decisions got made that the team might not agree with. And I mean, that's that's kind of like, yep, that's what happens everywhere. <laughs> that's yeah. pretty standard. So yeah. It's not just gaming where that happens, right? It happens in every business pretty much. You know? Yeah, I mean, what you've described is, it feels quite common. So so just yeah. on that though, then, because we, we touched about it a little bit here, but we so. What is your view on the whole Microsoft Activision Blizzard thing? What what's Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and let, let me I, I this is an interesting thing to mention. I I am legally obligated to never say anything negative about Activision Blizzard in a public forum. So okay. I am allowed to, to talk okay. about that that exists. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. Is, okay. It was, Part of my my exit, um, I owe them about sixty thousand dollars if I say anything negative about them. Okay. So we'll just we'll just we'll just, we'll just paint it through that lens. <laughs> yeah, sure. But that's sure. fine. Here, here is here is my sort of candid take, and and to me, it's funny that a thing like that exists, and it's funny to call it out. So yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it, it says a lot without saying anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's not negative. I mean, that is no, it's, it's not. not. It's, it's not. not. That's a business. Piece. Paperwork that they that handed me and I signed. <laughs> so yeah, there absolutely. I hundred um, percent understand. Um, but I, you know, I can still talk about my my thoughts and feelings without being negative about things. So here, here, here's a whack at that. You know, it's 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 sort of public knowledge now that that you know some of the troubles that have been in, yeah. internal to Activision and and Blizzard. Yeah, it's unfortunate, and and you know some of them were have been called out about the studio that I worked at at Infinity Ward as well. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I was in Leeds meetings for, for much of my time there. And my hope, who knows if how much this will go down, but my hope is that I, I think Microsoft is a lot more buttoned up around things like this. And, you know, Microsoft is not innocent either. <laughs> They've got their own internal scales. Yeah. Probably which you have not heard about as much, but there there are things that have gone down at Microsoft as well. But my sense is that Microsoft Game Studios and their leadership are a lot more uh, buttoned up and committed to not tolerating the kind of things that have been getting complained about. So it is my sincere hope that that this represents some course correction 
yeah. uh, where it is necessary. And look, and I think that makes sense. Actually, coming back to what you said before about the whole G rating and, you know, Microsoft has uh, obviously has a different uh, image reputation uh, and, and positioning that they're trying to get in the market as a company. And Xbox, if you talk about Xbox specifically, specifically as a brand, even under Phil Spencer seems to be uh, way more about camaraderie, way more about like, and as much as that is obviously marketing and they're not stupid and they understand that, I, I think that it is also very much associated with Phil Spencer as a, as a, as a people leader compared to uh, some of the previous leaders that they've had there in the X division is that he is very much more about that. Now, if it's only for show or not, doesn't really matter because even if it's an external brand, they will have to act like that behind the scenes. So it doesn't really matter if it's marketing yeah. or if it's his personal belief. What matters is that by positioning yourself that way, they can address a lot of these problems that we're seeing in the industry right now that need to be addressed. And hopefully in a way that actually uh, ends up being positive not only for gamers who have criticisms of, of the way that game developers are being uh, treated, but also for game developers themselves in the communities to kind of be able to work in better environment. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it pans out. That's sort of one angle to look at it from. Others are like, okay, well, what about, you know, Game Pass has obviously played a role in this. The number mm -hmm. is yeah. like, holy crap, that's a huge number. <laughs> like yeah. there's a bunch of like yeah. angles to look at this through. Oh, absolutely. Um, Oh, they didn't. Yeah, do about, it to, uh, they didn't do it to clean up Activision. I don't believe that they, they didn't buy them to oh, clean no. them up. <laughs> no, no, this is this is all about Game Pass. For yeah, sure. and the twenty billion that came off Sony as well. Yeah, so they've ripped a twenty Maybe. billion dollar hole into Sony as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, did their is was that their stock hit? Their uh, stock after tanked, that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Twenty, wow. tw 20 billion. I mean, and so wow. you can understand why Phil Spencer was talking to the uh, Sony exec team about <laughs> what they were going to do. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was I, I, that would have been an awkward call, though. But so sorry. So so going back to your career then. So you 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 have worked at, at Blizzard. So was that the so after Bungie was there a gap and then you went into? Um, I actually didn't work at Blizzard. Um, oh no, sorry. I worked, okay. I was I went from uh, so Bungie to Infinity Ward. Which is Bungie to Infinity Act Ward. Oh yeah, cool. A Activision, Activision Blizzard. Blizzard. Yes. When I started, it was just Activision, but the, that <laughs> that uh, it, they actually, I think they refer to it as a reverse merger. It was technically, I, I don't know. It's it how that all plays out is is weird. Where you absorb the name of the one that's getting bought, or I don't know. Never mind. Okay, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you so you but, went from Bungie then to to Infinity Ward, uh -huh. and how, was that a high five like? What was the moment when you kind of realized that you made it, so to speak? Was that one of those moments when you went, holy crap, I'm going to work for Infinity War? No, not at all. <laughs> at the, the time. So, um, yeah, and, and, and getting back to your older question, too, of like, when, when did I fanboy out of it? I think, you know, Bungie was that for sure, right? So when, right. I, when I started at Infinity War, they had shipped COD 2. Right, which was a which is a great game. Yeah, but they weren't they you know Infinity Ward had not exploded, you know at, at that point. So that little four month break I had, I interviewed at I think nine companies and got seven, um, seven offers, and I I I I ended up going with Infinity Ward I think for two reasons. One, they had the only game of all the places I had interviewed at that I had played start to end, which is like okay, well that's 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 a big you know that's important like that you like care about and love and respect the the work that this place does like there there aren't a lot of games i start and end anymore and you know mm. there's a ton that i'll pick up for 15 minutes <laughs> 
but that cod too like sucked me in enough that like yeah I, I played it all the way through the entire campaign and and really loved it i thought it was a phenomenal game so so that was in the plus column for sure and then during the interview the bot the guy that would have been my boss robert Gaines, who we call robot g affectionately um i was just super impressed with him i thought he like he was a super talented guy ultra smart like i knew i would learn a ton from him so i was excited about that and just the effects that were in COD 2, which are like, you know, almost archaic by today's standards. But like at that moment in time, like this was this was really good work. And I'm like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to develop as an artist here. And and I just I liked the guy a lot. I, you know, personal chemistry with him. Like I thought he was he was, you know, he was super chill and fun to hang out with. So I'm like, yes, this is the spot. But they weren't a known studio. And, and it was kind of funny coming in the door how like cocky they were. <laughs> I remember like in my interview, they let me play Modern Warfare 1 multiplayer. So it's not not even out yet. Wow. And and I'm a Halo fanboy at this point. And the time to kill is so fast in mm. in Modern Warfare 1 compared. It's it's much faster in modern Halos than it was you know, back in Halo 1, Halo 2 days. And I'm like, I don't know if I like this. Like, <laughs> like I just, I'm, I'm like, this is spawn and die. Like, I just get killed real fast. And, I, you know, I didn't I didn't quite get it immediately. You know, it takes a little moment to, in any game, especially yeah. a competitive multiplayer game, takes a minute to like, okay, I know the level, I know what the weapons do, and I can function. And, you know, these guys are playing it every week. So, you know, of course, I'm just going to get slot. They, I think they told them not to kill me too much, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, so I didn't quite get it, uh, and it was funny, like how cocky they were. They're like, "Yeah, man, this game's gonna destroy Halo." And at that moment in time, I'm like, "Are you sure? I don't. <laughs> I think you're crazy." I I didn't think it would. I'm like, "No, dude, nothing's toppling Halo. That's that's the big dog right now." And they did, man. It went over. It came out and just crushed. Like it was such a good game, and the multiplayer was really good. I didn't. I didn't. You know. I didn't queue in the first time i played it but yeah it is excellent yeah. the map i sunk a lot of hours into that game i wasn't very yeah. good but i played it a lot it's fun it's phenomenal the pacing is great just the mm. that the like rush the action of it yeah phenomenal it was game, and it was so. also was that because it wasn't that also a significant shift because up until that point the call of duty games were very much uh focused obviously on world war ii and you know, like as were any of those, they, you know, uh, there was like a Band of Brothers series uh, kind of at the time. And you had, I guess you had yep. Battlefield. And, but it felt like there was this shift and suddenly like Modern Warfare was such a departure in such a different direction. Was it because of Halo? Is that where they chose that Modern Warfare angle or was they just tired of making World War II shooters, you reckon? I, I don't think it was, it had anything to do with Halo. I think it was just, you know, they'd, they'd made... You know, but the guys that that formed Infinity Ward were working on Medal of Honor, like oh, Medal of Honor, yeah, supplements before that. So, hmm. you know, they were they were deep into and tired of <laughs> making World War II games. Yeah, and Activision told them no. I, I don't know if you guys know that, but they they were like, we want to make a modern game, and Activision was like, nope, that's not what the market wants. More World War II, and they just made it anyway, <laughs> despite. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love i love the balls on those guys like they That's great they did they did some stuff and eventually got themselves fired uh, over it but but i really respect you know jason and vince uh, a ton and 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 yeah they they yeah they pushed back 
yeah, <laughs> clearly, right? And you know, it 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 well, there were consequences in the end to that, but it was the right. I mean, we wouldn't, you know, yeah, clearly it was the right games. move, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so what were you? What was your? What were your proudest moment? Proudest game shipping when you were at Infinity Ward? What was the moment where you felt best there? Then? Yeah, yeah. Ten ten years, eight of it as a lead. I, I think I think I've got two. I think Modern Warfare Two was was really like yeah, because like Modern Warfare. So I, I start working there in like October. It ships in November, so I'm only there like a month. It was crazy, just like so. So back to like their 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 cockiness about it too. They're like they they literally say like, oh man, this is gonna crush Halo. And I and every time they say that, they're like, oh sorry DJ, because they knew I just come from Bungie. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, oh, we don't mean to insult you, but we're going to just destroy that. I'm like, All right. Um, but yeah, it, it comes out. Uh, so so Modern Warfare 2, uh, man, am I proud of that work. Like, you know, I, I killed Ghost when Shep throws a c- cigar on him and, and he burns up. I did that scene. The airport massacre, which is like, I mean, that is like, that's oh, just like yeah. legendary stuff in game. It I is, did all yeah. the blood. I yeah. crawled around my office with with fake blood all over myself, and I crawled around and photographed the streaks that I left, and that's what's on the the crawling civilians oh, wow. in there. Wow. And uh, yeah, super proud. Like, oh man, my like I and Mo was the designer that I worked with on that. Mohammed is his name. Super awesome guy. He actually just left Respawn the other day. Uh, he's been there ever since. But when you get down, you go down the escalator, and all the the departure signs like they start flipping, like delayed, delayed, delayed. Like I'm like. Dude, that is the coolest yeah. thing, like ever. Yeah. So, yeah, super proud of Modern Warfare Two. I, you know, the, I think that game will always live on as as like yeah. one of one of the greats. And yeah. I'm super. And that proud level of was so shocking to play through as well. Yeah, you, yeah. I had to decide it whether was. you were going to shoot these civilians or just kind of walk along and see it all happening. It was. It was quite controversial. I remember there experience. was experience. Yeah, and it, that's it, kind it of is, what you yeah. want in a game, right? You want to. You want to feel? Yeah, it 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 was it was a, you know, you could you could you could see it as as like shock val, you know, shock stuff, or, I mean, you could see it as a maturing of the medium. Like this is, I mean, games aren't just for kids. They are there oh. to make you think and question and and have emotions. And so that was nice. a big one. Um, we won the uh, first VES award for the Gulag scene when you finally like get price out of the thing and like you're running down the hall it's collapsing and then you ah, you run back and the helicopter pulls you out the thing and the navy's bombarding the gulag thing so we won an award for the effects in that that was pretty sweet james cameron was sitting 10 feet in front of me when i gave the the speech with the statue oh, right nice. there that was, that was pretty sweet so that was a good <laughs> that was a good that's one. a good day at the office that's a good day yeah <laughs> uh and then call of duty ghosts i'm really proud of work it's you know not as I think remembered as as a, a fundamental game in the series or anything, but the the team that we put together and this is after this is right after the split of like they had fired Jason and Vince. I could go on a whole episode with you guys about that. Half the team quit. We had to rebuild the team, and you know I hired a, uh, this guy Alessandro Nardini from from the film industry. He had done twenty twenty one. Is that the name of the? That like destruction movie where all the earthquakes everywhere with uh, John Cusack, I forget. Uh, but he'd done a bunch of like really killer destruction stuff in film. And we brought him in to help do some of that in the game. And we pulled off some really cool, like the opening scene where like these rods of God are like blowing up your city and and the street is like collapsing into the 
the crater and and like you're running over all this stuff that's moving and houses are tearing in two as you're running jumping through like crazy stuff right uh so we won our second ves award for that one um so we did some really we had added some renewed tech i was really proud of and and i was sort of more in a leadership role now and supervising so so the other guys got to do the like hands-on work but yeah, we pull off some really amazing stuff in that one. So that was a, a proud. Just a question on this, because when we were talking about this, one thing that's quite easy for me to see is, I guess, is your love for uh, being able to create these environments that have a very, the single player focus, right? The, it's actually the campaigns that we're talking about here. So how do you feel about that? Because I mean, I, I know that one thing that frustrates me now as an old gamer is that <laughs> because I don't play the multiplayer, because to your point, the time to kill is so quick that like, even if I, if I pick up the network, latest battlefield i'm dead within two seconds so what's your view on that because obviously activision and the other studios started like not caring about campaigns at all as far as i'm concerned there was a point there seemed to be a tipping point where multiplayer became if not the only focus then definitely predominant focus and what do you feel about that direction versus really strong compelling campaign play you know times are times are a changing <laughs> for sure right now it's all you know free to play battle royale is kind of like the you know the rush that everyone's sort of running at at this moment, you know I I think like back in the day the campaign is kind of what you're selling and the multiplayer is sort of there to like keep you on on the wheel right, so so the campaign is almost like the training module for for the multiplayer in the end, and you know I I think probably there's a couple of games there you know, there was a I probably I won't mention the specific one but there was a Call of Duty that. Well, you can you know do the math. The first one that shipped without a campaign, that yeah. wasn't planned. <laughs> there was oh, a okay. campaign. It didn't get finished. Okay. Uh, so, so they went to they. That was the first. So it, it might have been an unintentional switch. And, and I think that's like if you look at the amount of like money and effort that it takes to do the camp a campaign, it is like it is astronomical. Mm. Um, it it just gets harder and harder. I don't know why, but like. It, it was a weird transition for me at Infinity Ward where the first one, so Modern Warfare 2, the first one that I was a part of the whole cycle, was probably the easiest production I've ever been in. Mm. And and the highest quality, you know, probably too, right? There was about 75 of us and there was next to no crunch. There was eight hour days, the whole thing. And never a single weekend worked. And so crunch was at a 10 hour day instead of an eight hour hour day for maybe two weeks before the E3 reveal and maybe a month, month and a half before ship. That was like, wow, as mild <laughs> as it gets. A yeah. little bit of overtime was, was all that took. And, you yeah. know, one of the best games ever made. Right. Yeah. Why is it that now today? Yeah. You know, it, it can like, be done. It, it clearly can be done. And now, and now we're talking about these crunch things and. You know, we get big, massive fiascos as well, like Cyberpunk, you know, uh, what an absolute uh, atrocious. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I still haven't. I've, I've, I've actually got the uh, whatever ultimate edition or whatever with a little statue. And I still haven't put the disc in because I'm waiting for the next gen version to come out. And I don't yeah. want <laughs> to spoil my experience by playing yeah. it now when it's so subpar. But it's crazy because they obviously went into crunch mode and everything like that and still couldn't deliver it. I guess when the yeah. shareholders were wanting it uh, or if it was them, like they're saying it wasn't shareholder pressure, but it seems really odd that you would then, you know, hobble your studio to that amount if it wasn't due to shareholder pressure. But 
you're right. So you could make a game, you can make games and not have to crunch. Is that, is that, or you could at least then. Do you think you can today? Can you make games without having to have a crunch or? Sure you can. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I just, I think it takes the right team makeup. I, I think every, and I got to tread the, the, the delicate waters of not saying <laughs> negative things, but you know, as, as, as time went on and, you know, you, if, so we made one for two and then half the team was gone and like, we had to rehire. So, so all, all the sort of magic, all, all of the, the like dynamics, all the leadership that went into like that well-oiled machine that we had is, is, is now totally something else and unable to accomplish that same thing, right? So it kind of got worse and worse every time. Crunch got every game, there was more crunch and harder and bigger teams and and the rate of, of making stuff just got slower. No, it doesn't matter how many people you tack onto it. You're, you're, it's almost like more people equals go slower <laughs> in the end, but you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, I mean, you can't really argue for the opposite of that. Okay, we wanna move faster, so let's get rid of <laughs> Yeah. half the thing that's not how it works but there's that classic yeah. quote isn't it isn't there which is you know one developer can do in one month what two developers can do in two yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly oh, so and you know i i think we just had like that you know you, you just come up with magic sometimes you know just the right people with the right attitudes and have the right hiring mechanisms and like you just you just hit a sweet spot where like I would say almost everybody at that early, you know, Modern Warfare 2 era, Infinity Ward was was like lead caliber. Like almost everyone there could have been a lead somewhere else. Like mm. everyone was great. There's no mm. weak links. There was no missing dead. No, nobody, nobody missed a deadline. If you were told that, that have this done by this date, like, yep, yeah. you you, everyone knew how to do their job and they just did it and there's no excuses and and everything just got done in the time it was allotted and you know there was a little bit of rework and one or two things got thrown out but everything largely that got thrown at the board stuck to it and and got made and was awesome and i don't know it was just just lightning in a bottle yeah it, and i mean i think people who get that even if it's just once in a career or in their lifetime it's it's uh, amazingly unique and something to really treasure, you know, that feeling where things clicked. I mean, ironically for me, I think I felt a bit like that with actually the year that you were there at Digital Nations was a bit like that with me where everything ended up working. I ended up being, you know, the show ended up being the launch show for Xbox One and PlayStation 4 in New Zealand, which was crazy to think about now in hindsight. The one thing, the last question I would like to ask you, DJ, at least for this podcast, and hey, look, we might need to do a completely separate All right. with you again. But um, <laughs> sure. I was going to ask you what, you, what are you most excited about by the future of gaming? What excites you looking forward in gaming? What do you think is the next big thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, like the thing that's exciting me at this moment is Halo Infinite. <laughs> <laughs> the bejesus out of uh it's super fun but yeah where where is this going next so there's a couple of things I, i'm so there's some areas in gaming that i'm like oh man we've come so far and like if you look at you know lighting and environments and and car rendering and characters to the extent that the effort is put in you know are, are approaching the quality of film these days i'm like okay we've we're we're characters don't look you know photorealistic yet it's you know they're not film they're not like filmic quality but you know their companies can make really good ones uh these days there's a few areas 
that are not remotely close to what can be done in films like and effects is one of them so that's kind of a pleasure for me to like you know push on bridging that gap how you know every time a new generation comes out how can we use that hardware to make cooler effects and more particles and uh, fluid simulations are coming online in unreal uh, any day now Uh, 427 has some of the beginnings of it Um, there's a couple of software called embergen and vector Doray Gen, and they got a new Fluid Gen coming out that makes it really easy to do like fluid simulations all in real time. So it's not in the game engine yet, but it feels like that's coming soon. I think that's going to be awesome. Um, one thing that that I am excited about, and I we're probably another generation or two off, but as as they were talking about it this last cycle with, I think it was, God, was it Stadia that was. Or was it the new Xbox? I forget. But this idea of of like distributed processing. So yeah, right now we have to make a game work on a device, right? Mm. So if I want to do, you know, bazillions of polygons of of building, just like if I want to do Fast and Furious or Transformer style, like you know, crap falling on your head. You, I mean, that load is just, you know, that takes simulation farms at Weta to process, right? And in real time, you know, you have a 30th or a 60th of a second. So so everything we do has to be like, hey, and and they get more powerful and more memory every time. And we're like, all right, great, bigger textures and more, uh, you know, more particles by a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. It doesn't actually go up that much how many particles you can have, but now you distribute it across cores. But I think I think a sea change is going to be, and and I, I forget if it was Stadia or Xbox One, but this promise of like distributed computing, where say there there is like a cloud of computers out there that your box is not always you know hitting its full load. So it's like all right, everything's happening on the box. But what if once in a while I want to say, give me seventy five more Xboxes for the next two seconds to do some crazy absurd stuff that is theoretically is possible to happen right what if i could like get tons and tons of more resources and if you just think of like what's what's all the headroom of all the latency of all the xboxes in my city combined right now ones that aren't even playing a game well, what if like that got consumed and was powering somebody else's game right now? That that is possible, or maybe it's a server farm. I don't know, but I think that is going to be a thing. Maybe I don't know if it's two, three, four generations out, but but one day that will be a thing, and that opens up like some crazy new possibilities. I think that's awesome. Um, what was the game that 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 started doing some of this? Uh, Crackdown two. Crackdown two. Yeah, I was going to say a I think long it was- time ago. Yeah, had, had some of these ideas on it. Microsoft, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Microsoft. They have services it was, yeah. in it that are designed to do that, even on a multiplayer game. Yeah, um, it was a and, part of their yeah. Azure strategy, I think. So when they launched Azure, they were trying to claim that. I think at the stage they wanted that to happen, and then obviously they had other problems with Xbox One. <laughs> yeah. uh, so they kind of, I think they scrapped a lot of that because of it, because it was too much leaning into it. But then you're right, that that definitely had that in it where they showcased the idea of doing some of this like big destructions in the campaign, uh, sorry, in, in the multiplayer game. In multiplayer, came from yeah. Dis- yeah, came from distributed uh, processing power. Yeah, and, and that game was going to be the showcase for that tech. And then like, I, I think people are just so used to like 
developing for a box now. Like people, I think developers have kind of forgotten about it, but I, I think that is going to come back around one day and like whoever shows some like killer stuff with it is going to be the, you know, start the next wave of people caring about that. Um, another one, just machine learning. I'm excited to see what machine learning does. It's interesting, like with RTX cards and now machine learning's up-resing your screen so you can do it lower so that you can ray trace. And like, that's, that's kind of a weird idea that no one would have thought would be a thing, but it is now. And um, yeah, like what it's going to do for like animation. I think animations, which, you know, we're so in this world of like, you know, someone authors a run cycle and stuff. There's some really cool, like Euphoria had this, the whole API around uh, more like kinetic, like physically based animations and corrections. And I've seen some machine learning stuff where hmm. like the, the thing that I was most impressed by, it was what the arms were doing. Like this guy was sort of like walking around a slightly uneven thing with some like rocks in it. And he was like going down things. The thing that was like, oh, no one ever puts that in in their walk cycles, because how could they? But like the stuff that the arms were doing to like maintain his balance as he was like traversing this thing just felt like, oh, that's not in any games and that's super cool. And yep, that's, <laughs> that's why it looks wrong because they're not doing that. So like it, like stuff like that. I think machine learning is going to be a big deal. Uh, yeah, those, so those are a few things yeah. I'm looking forward to. Cool, man. Look, um, really appreciate your time. I definitely think that Rich and I would love to talk to you more. We, we have run out of time for this okay. episode. <laughs> yeah. but thank you so much for talking to you. I think that's been absolutely fantastic to hear. It's been great to reconnect. Yeah, I, yeah it's I, good I to see you, man. Loved, yeah, I'm going to go for hours, can we? Are you going to yeah, play right, Fortnite with us? We need to hook up a Fortnite game. Uh, I could do that. Yeah, that, that'd be yeah, fun. Yeah. When, when are you guys playing? I don't know if our, our the latency between here and New Zealand is going <laughs> to work uh, out, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. We'll, we'll figure some out. <laughs> latency is not the reason why we will suck so richie and i will suck for, for other yeah. reasons than latency. okay yeah but we'll blame Fair it on enough. latency no yeah. we should definitely right. do that look I'll, I'll i'll talk to you to, 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 about that let's hook up and, and do some um do some Fortnite together with dj awesome. that would be great thanks so much again yep. dj for coming on it's been absolute pleasure having you and uh you know i hope you have a great time in the in the u.s and and good luck on halo infinite all right yeah. man <laughs> yeah Happy to be back on the podcast too. Like, book me anytime. Awesome. Thanks, man. <laughs> Thanks, Take DJ. Care. Lovely Thanks. to meet you, mate. Bye. Yeah. See you guys. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on your podcast platform. Next time, we cover off the awesome Horizon Forbidden West and have the usual Fortnite chatter. If you have any suggestions or comments on any of our pods, you can contact us at expiredxp on Instagram. See you next time.